0: 1995 and has been teaching in our school, Montana, United States of America, Kona, Hawaii, and King's Lodge, United Kingdom. It is a privilege to have Tim with us because next year he will come to teach again, but he will come for two weeks. And Tim he also he has been taking the model has a training course for pastors in India. It is normally teaching top cow preaching. This is the team it has been teaching since he has been involved with BTPS. And Tim is married uh, to Kate and has two kids, uh, Ben and Sam. Uh, let's welcome Tim and Hilary. Oh, thank you, Tim. Yes. <laughs> Can you bring it up? Yeah. Um, okay. I would like to invite Brother Cliff to come to pray for team. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <clears throat>
1: I've never met Tim. (laughs) Let's pray for Tim. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for our brother. We thank you that the word of God says that he who receives a prophet receives a prophet reward, and he who
2: receives a righteous man receives a righteous man's reward. So tonight we receive this brother,
1: receive Lord Jesus in him, we receive the gift of God. We ask, Father, that he be fully free to bring and to release unto us all that you have tonight. We bless him in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you. Okay, thank you very much. Oh, can we just take this uh, microphone down slightly? Thank you very much. Um, The Lord inhabits the praises of his people. Amen. And we've felt the Lord's presence uh, this evening. We're going to open his word now with expectation. The Lord has promised to speak to us. And uh, in faith, we know that's going to be. Uh, the case. Um, As has been said in the introduction, I'm from Manchester in the northwest of England. Now, don't get too excited now. A lot of people say that Manchester in the northwest of England is a very rainy place. It's very cold. It's very damp. But actually, really, I'm going to let you into a secret. It's not. We have our own microclimate and it's very much like this weather here. Every day of the year, it's blue sky and sun. We are a tropical paradise in Manchester. We have the wildebeest roaming the plains. People said, I like your Hawaiian shirt. It's not. It's a Manchester shirt. Because everybody in Manchester, all year round, walks around like this. It's, it's an amazing secret. It's a tropical paradise. Apart from... It's not quite tropical, and it's not really a paradise, but it's home. So, Now, wherever I go, um, people talk about Manchester, and they say, oh, Manchester United, um, and it's lovely to have uh, a number of football fans here, and uh, uh, there are some people who like uh, watching the English Premier League. It's our greatest export around the world. Um, but as a Manchester United supporter, I have, in the past few years, got used to disappointment, um, for a spell of about 20 years Manchester United was the most dominant football team in the UK and in Europe um, but it's been very difficult recently, have you been watching Manchester United it's not that good, we, we lost our, our long term manager Alex Ferguson, we had David Moyes, it was a disaster and then we had a Dutchman come Van Gaals who was the He was the manager of the Netherlands football team. And I went to the first home game, and everybody was excited. I don't know if you watch football, if you go to football matches. There was this expectation that the good times were here again. And we were rubbish. And you felt this collective disappointment. Now, I say that because all the Brazilians here know exactly what I mean when it comes to football disappointments. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, let me ask you a question, serious question. How do you deal, how do you deal, how do you deal with disappointments? I'm not speaking about football, I'm not speaking about silly things like that, though actually football is not silly, but you know what I mean. Listen, when life doesn't turn out how you thought it was going to, When life doesn't turn out how you think it should go, how do you deal with that? How do you deal with that? And you know, I guess that there are many people here who, if you are honest, know exactly what I mean because there have been circumstances in your life when you have had to deal with painful disappointments. So how do we deal with those? When our expectations and our hopes and our dreams seem to hit a brick wall and a full stop. Let me tell you a story to illustrate. I want to tell you about a young girl called Kate. Now, Kate was born into a very prosperous family. She was highly intelligent. She started reading at the age of three. She went to a very good school. And at the age of 12, she wanted to be a doctor. She decided she wanted to be a doctor. And she she worked hard, and and that seemed to be the case. At the age of 13, she committed her life to Christ. She worked hard at school. We would say that she was a grade A student. But as well as that, she was committed to be a disciple of Christ. At 16, she did very well at school in those exams which we sit um, in the UK when you're 16. She got high grades in many, many subjects. And yet, still, she wanted to put Christ first. And yet, she passionately believed that God had called her to be a doctor. That's a, that's a noble thing, don't you think? If you feel that God has called you to be a medical doctor. She got a place at one of the best teaching hospitals in London and was invited to live in the home of a prominent Christian leader in London who took in students as lodgers. It seemed right. It seemed God's purpose, and it seemed to honor him. Now, I want you to imagine yourself in her shoes. Imagine yourself in her shoes. And then, in her final year at school, she was taught by a teacher who failed catastrophically because all the class, all of these were grade-A students, failed badly. And as a result, all her hopes, all her plans, all her dreams... All her prayers seemed to evaporate. Now, I wonder how would you cope if that was you? I wonder how you would feel if that was you, holding what seemed to be a holy, honorable dream since she was quite a small girl. It seemed so worthwhile. Now what? Now, listen, we've got to be honest about this. Life is like that sometimes, isn't it? Yes, it is. And if you haven't experienced that sort of disappointment, I'm going to tell you something right now, you will do fairly soon. That's just the way it is, isn't it? It is. Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble. You will have trouble. And so life is also about navigating disappointments. Now, I think our generation, when I say our generation, I'm probably saying your generation, I was sitting at tea, and actually I was chatting with a, a, a lady, and um, she, you know, she, she said, "Oh, um, you know tell me a bit about your life." I said I had, I'd been married for 30 years." and, she, and, and I, she said, "Really, really?" And I said to her, "At this point, you need to say, "No! You look so young." <laughs> Most of you a part of what I will call the AC generation. I'm actually part of the BC generation, but most of you here, you don't know what it is yet, most of you, what do I mean? BC is before connectivity. (laughs) AC is after connectivity. You have grown up, most of you in this room, knowing nothing else but an instant connection with the world through the internet. Am I right? No, actually, I don't. I'm part of a, another generation, though. I am also surgically attached to my iPhone. Okay. Now we take this for granted, and yet, actually, although most of you, most of you, probably can't imagine life without that sort of gadget, which is always close to you. In fact, who's got their smartphone out now? Have some people got. Yeah, okay. But you're reading the Bible off it, aren't you? No, she's actually, she's texting. She's sending emails. No, no, you're not, you're not, you're not. Don't worry. Help me out here. Who's got a smartphone on them? Okay. Here's the question. In the past, this is true. When people had a question, they would go to a teacher. They would go to a father. They would go to a mother. They would go to, who do they ask now? Google. Google. Here's the question. Are you ready? When did the iPhone first appear? Can you, can you look that up now? Can you look that up? Are you connected? Look it up now. When did the iPhone first come out? Does anyone know? When, what year? Yes, well done. But this man is wise, and he knew it. 2007. That's only nine years ago. Yet most of you cannot imagine life without something like this. Am I, am I right? I'm right. Now, this is the point. Living with this gives me instant access to all of the world's knowledge. I, it means I'm never lost because of global GPS, I have access to knowledge. I have access to where I am. I know where my friends are. I probably even know what my friends ate for breakfast because they always put it on Facebook. <laughs> but listen, what that does, it gives me a sense, a false sense, of being in control. I don't have to wait for answers, do I? There really There really isn't a time when I don't know something. Because if I want to know something, I will find it instantly with one of these. I'm frustrated when I don't know something, when I don't feel in control, and I get very impatient when I don't understand. And when it comes to dealing with life's real disappointments, that sort of mindset isn't that helpful. Because take it from me... Life is not like an iPhone or a smartphone. Life is something very different. And if we're going to live that well to the glory of God, we will need to know, by God's word, through the power of his Holy Spirit, how to navigate disappointments when they come. And we're going to be thinking a little bit, oh, by the way, what I'm just looking at the time here. What time is breakfast tomorrow morning? No, 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 no don't worry. Don't worry. Psalm, <laughs> Psalm 57. We're going to look at Psalm 57. And uh, we're going to put that up. This is, I hope, yes, it's the ESV. And uh, through an incident which happened with David, we see God giving us three invitations, incredible invitations Which gives us his strength and his wisdom to navigate disappointments. What I'm going to do? I'm going to read through Psalm 57. If you've got a Bible, you might want to open it. It's always good. I always kind—I'm old-fashioned. I know I'm old-fashioned. I always think I go to a Christian meet. Just bring a Bible. I say that to my wife, Kate. Why didn't you bring a Bible? No, I've got it on my iPhone. She says. I'm going to pray. I'll read this through, and then I'm going to do something, just to make me feel at home. I'm going to say, this is the word of the Lord, and then you say, thanks be to God. Can you do that? Let's just practice that at the beginning. I'll say, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Wow. Let's just pray, shall we? Let's pray. Lord, open your word to our hearts, and our hearts to your word, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 57, be merciful to me, O God, be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. He will send from heaven and save me. He will put to shame him who tramples on me. God will send out his steadfast love and his faithfulness. My soul is in the midst of lions. I lie down amid fiery beasts, the children of man whose teeth are spears and arrows, whose tongues are sharp swords. Be exalted, O God above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. They set a net for my steps. My soul was bowed down. They dug a pit in my way, but they have fallen in it themselves. My heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. I will sing and make melody. Awake, my glory. Awake, O harp and lyre. I will awake the dawn. I will give thanks to you, O Lord, among the peoples. I will sing praises to you among the nations, for your steadfast love is great to the heavens, your faithfulness to the clouds. Be exalted, O God, above the heavens. Let your glory be over all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Thanks, Peter That's That's great now the beginning of this psalm it's not there on the screen but it's actually in in the scriptures shows us what is happening Saul is after David you probably know the story David's trapped in a cave and Saul and his army are outside and frankly at this point of time things don't look great you can tell tell things aren't good because at the very beginning of the psalm and it isn't included there it says to the choirmaster according to do not destroy now listen If you're singing a song and the tune is Do Not Destroy, you know that's not going to be a happy song. That doesn't sound really happy, does it? But it it starts to build up this picture. The the fact that that David is literally meters away from his death, maybe only seconds away from his demise. He speaks in verse 1 of the storms of destruction. You can have a look there. In verse four, he says, "My soul is in the midst of lions." That doesn't sound too good, does it? No cages either, and and the lions have teeth. The teeth haven't been taken out. Verse six: They set a net for my steps. They dug a pit in my way. Listen, he's not talking about his fan club. These people are not his Facebook friends. They're not giving him a like here. They want him dead, and. He's literally facing the prospect of just that. His head might soon be severed from his body. Now, if I was David, I'm going to be honest now. You might be completely different. But if I was David, I would be saying, why, God? Why? Wouldn't you? I would. You promised me so much you have given me so many promises. You called me to be king. You've led me so far, and now what? God, you, you've delivered so many promises, and now I'm at the point facing death itself. And in this most dangerous and life threatening situation, he responds, David responds in this psalm in a way where we see God inviting him to deal with disappointment. And in particular, we're going to look at verse 2. So let's just go to the the top of that page. And in particular, verse 2. This is a great verse to memorize, by the way. Are you into Bible memory? Okay. This is a great verse to, to memorize. I cry out to God, most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Here's the first thing. God invites me to seek him with honesty and humility. God invites me to seek him with honesty and humility. If I am facing difficulty and disappointment, God is inviting me to be honest before him and to be humble before him. He says, I cry out, I cry out to God Most High. He doesn't ignore the difficulty. He doesn't blank it out. He doesn't pretend it's all right. Now, in the English language, and I'm sure this doesn't happen here, but it happens in my culture, Often, you will go up to someone, and the normal greeting will be, how are you? And you say, I'm fine, you? (laughs) I'm fine. Or, there's another word I'm looking for. (laughs) We'll try it again, okay. How are you today? I'm good. (laughs) Good. We're going to try again. all right, all right. I'm looking for another, two letters, two letters. How are you?
0: Okay. Okay.
1: It's the Holy Spirit, I think. Is How are you? I'm okay. Do you say that sometimes? I'm a pastor. That's what I do. And the, one of the beauties of that is I tend to know what's happening Uh, in the lives of the people who I minister to. And this is no word of a lie. I sometimes go up to people. I say, how are you today? And they say, I'm okay. And I look and I say, no, you're not. I I, I know you just, your husband's just died. Why are you saying I'm okay? That happens. That happens. Do you do that sometime? And that's the problem. David says in verse 2, I cry out. In verse 1, he says, be merciful to me, oh God, be merciful. Now listen, okay, I'm British, and I kind of tend to think Jesus was British. And all the actors in the Bible, all these people, they were British. David was British. And therefore, because the British are so refined and polite, you're... Just stand up. What's your name again? Go on, go on, go on, go on. What's your name? Go on. Just... Just turn around, turn around. Do a curtsy. Curtsy. We're so refined and. This is how I imagine. All right, you can sit down now, you can sit down now. Don't, Don't over egg it. David, imagine this David is facing death. And so, as a British person, I imagine that David says, I cry out. Be merciful to me, O oh God. Be merciful to me. Do you think he said that like that? I cry out, God, be merciful to me. I'm facing death. What's happening, God? David here shows a sharp degree of honesty before God. Let me ask you a question. Can you be really honest before God and before others? With your disappointments and your difficulties, your problems, your sadness, your grief, and your pain. Now, honesty and humility go together. Often my pride stops me from being honest. You see, sometimes I don't want to admit my difficulty... I don't want to admit my disappointment. We think, oh, it's unspiritual. And what it does, it leads me to pretend. Now, trust me, I'm a pastor. I know about this. Churches are full of people who are very good at pretending. Yeah? And I'm sure that would never happen in WyWam. We pretend. And what we do, we put a mask on or we put makeup that's the guys as well <laughs> men 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 we find this particularly difficult i'm serious if if we want to grow into being a man of god we will need to know what it is to be honest with god and be honest with people People speak so much rubbish. They say, I will look weak. I will look a fool. And yet they forget that that Paul says, I boast about my weaknesses because when I am weak, then I am strong. And David here is quite honest. He is not ashamed to show his desperate need by crying out to God. The Psalms are brutally honest. Sometimes the Psalms are shockingly honest. They give us a vocabulary. They give us a language of honesty before God and before others. And if I want to navigate the disappointments of life, I'm going to need to hear God's invitation for me to be both honest and humble. Here's a truth. It's okay not to be okay. Okay. Truly, it's okay not to be okay. And this humility leads me to realize one of the most important lessons I can ever learn as a follower of Jesus Christ. It says in verse 2, I cry out to God most high. This is the lesson. God is God and I'm not. I'll repeat that. God is God and I'm not. Amen? Let's just repeat that phrase. God is God, and I'm not. Now, frankly, again, I struggle with that sometimes. Because things happen in my life, things happen in other people's lives, and I would say, God, I think you need my advice. (laughs) God, this would be far better if you listened to, to, to my ideas here. You seem not to be on the case, God. But the scriptures again realize, even here in verse 2, I cry out to God most high, he reminds us that God is God and I'm not. So that's the first thing. Will I be honest and humble before God and others? Here's the second invitation. When I face disappointment, God invites me to recognize his sovereignty, to recognize his sovereignty. Now, I loved some of those worship songs tonight because they spoke of God as who he is. The most pressing need for the church, the most pressing challenge for the church worldwide is starting to grasp who God is. He is not a God of our own inventions. He is not a God of our own calculations. He is not someone we put in a box. This is God, the Lord of all. God is God and I'm God not now this psalm actually is structured around two key verses verses 5 and 11 there's a key structure to this psalm and that's the heart of the psalm and it's the same words verse 5 and 11 be exalted O God above the heavens let your glory be over all the earth in other words David is saying God is God he is sovereign he is over all things although it seems that everything is out of control The circumstances around doesn't seem to suggest that God is in control because, frankly, things seem spiraling, dangerously out of control. But still, David affirms that whatever it looks like, whatever the circumstances, whatever the weather, God is in control. He is sovereign. He is the God, not just over Israel, God is the God of the cosmos. God is all powerful. God is all knowing. God is all present. God is all loving. This God sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end, even though the circumstances are very, very difficult. You could imagine David, someone going up to David and saying, David, do, do you understand what's happening here? He said, No, don't understand it. Can you see how this is all fitting together? Not really. Do do you know why this is happening? No idea. But I guess that David would say, I have no idea, but God does. Your steadfast love is great to the heavens. Now I'm just looking at the clock there and if we had time we could look at how this is a key message almost on every page of the Bible. Do you know the story of Job dealing with suffering? Job goes to God in the end with all sorts of questions. Job is is one of the most important books in the Bible when it comes to suffering. And you know, you you kind of, I just feel for, for Job, and he goes through incredible suffering, which incidentally is permitted by God. Now that raises a few questions. That raises a few questions. It's permitted by God. And so in the end, right at the end... Job gives this incredible speech to God, basically saying, why? And does God answer his question? He doesn't. He doesn't. What God does, he reveals that he is sovereign. He is God. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. Listen, things happen. We experience difficulties and disappointments. And frankly, this side of the grave, there will be times when we don't see clearly and we don't know what's happening. Do I always get it? No, I don't. Does God get it? Yes, he does. Does God have it? Absolutely. And that recognition of God's sovereignty has been the bedrock to Christian lives for 2,000 years. When I read books written hundreds of years ago, which I do, I suddenly see that this is one of the major themes over the course of Christian history. People speaking about how God is God. He is sovereign over all. There are some times we don't quite understand that, but that's the case. And I'm going to root my life in that reality that God is God and he is sovereign over all and he is a good God. And that leads to the final point. God invites me to trust his purpose. Now, I'm not too sure if this word in English will translate, but, but over 2,000 years, people have talked about God's providence, though my Afrikaner translators say it doesn't quite translate in Afrikaans, God's providence. So, uh, David says, I cry to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. That's an amazing thing to say, don't you think? David is literally at that point meters away from the potential death seconds away and yet what does he confidently say because God is most high i'm going to pray to him he will fulfill his purpose for me and you might say hey god excuse me i'm afraid i'm afraid it doesn't quite look like this doesn't look like this all your promises all your leading it seems to be doesn't look great. God, are you on holiday? Are you? Are you on the ball? Are you on the job? God, are you asleep? By the way, that psalmist says things like that. God's sovereignty means this. Nothing happens without him knowing about it. In some mysterious way, nothing happens without him permitting it. Whatever the circumstances, however great the disappointment, the tragedy, and the pain, God sees everything. God sees everyone. He sees the good things. He sees the bad things. He sees the evil things. He sees the holy things. And the promise is that this sovereign God who sees everything in its entirety will ultimately shape all of those things. He will direct all of those things to his appointed goal and for his glory. God is not on the sidelines. God is not on the bench in footballing terms. God is working within creation and he will manage all things according to his will. Now that is something which gives us a great sense of assurance, though it does raise a number of questions. So maybe in some of your groups you could talk about some of the questions which arise because of that. David says, I cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. And I bet, I bet you know this verse, Romans 8:28. Do you know that one? And we know that in all things, God works for the good for those who love Him and who have been called according to His purpose. Do you know that verse? If you haven't memorized that verse, that is a verse to memorize. It's saying the same thing as this verse: that God is so above all things, He's all-powerful and all-knowing and all-present, He is sovereign. That everything, everything will work for the good. It doesn't mean that everything is good because it's not. There are things which happen which are obviously bad and evil and terrible. But the promise is that God will turn all of those things and work them round by his providence for the good of those who love and trust him. Does it say that he will take some things? It doesn't say that. Does Does it say God will take the good things? No, it doesn't say that. It says all things. Does that mean I'm going to understand all of these things which happen? No, it doesn't. It doesn't. Remember, God is God and I'm... Against all the circumstances, David sees God's sovereignty. And it leads him to trust in his purpose. Now, the greatest example in the Old Testament is is Joseph. You know the story of Joseph? Or Joe? Joe? And Joe, as a young man in in his teens felt God's call upon his life God gave him two dreams two visions and it spoke about his future greatness he didn't handle it very well but he kind of lived with that sense of expectation of what God had planned did things go well immediately after that? no and for many many years many many years in Joseph's life things went from bad to worse and By God's providence, under God's sovereignty, years later, Joseph is now in second in command in Egypt under Pharaoh during a time of famine. He saves all of those nations, and then his brothers come to him. You know the story, don't you? And this is what Joseph says. As for you, you meant evil against me. But God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today isn 't think of all the events, think of all the circumstances, all the actions which needed to get Joseph to that point. I, I read a, a paper once by a mathematician who tried to work that out all the random what seemed to be random minor events which god which got Joseph to that point at that time facing his brothers, you would have to come up with with the idea that there are probably millions and billions of separate computations involved. That, my friends, is God's sovereignty. Do we understand it? No. Can we see it? No, we can't. What seemed to be random small things, insignificant actions which seemed unimportant at the time, were used by God so that Joseph was in that place, at that time, for that moment. That is God's sovereignty. And that is God's providence. How did Joseph feel for much of his life? Do you know, I guess that he felt really cheesed off. D- does that, do people use that expression here? Oh, they use it now. He was really... I guess... That David lived with a profound sense of disappointment for many, many years. And yet, and yet, we see even in the life of Joseph this desire to trust God's sovereignty. Now, there is, I'm going to show a, a really cool short film in a minute. You're going to love this. There is a, something called the butterfly effect. It's to do with chaos theory, maths and science. The butterfly, have you heard about the butterfly effect? A small change can result in a much larger effect. So the idea is that a a butterfly flapping its wings in Brazil will cause a hurricane the other side of the world. Okay, that's the butterfly effect. Part of chaos theory, if you're interested. In other words, you see what seem to be small, minor, insignificant, forgettable events, and yet those things can have... An impact and an influence beyond any imagination. Can you see where we're going with this? Okay, just a, you'll love this. This short film is simply called the Butterfly Effect, and perhaps it reminds us of the effect—the effect of some of these inconsequential, small, what seem to be meaningless, forgettable events, like the fluttering of a butterfly's wings. Thank you very much. We'll still get it without the sound. Did you like that? (laughs) This is the point. We cannot begin, we cannot begin to compute the impact of small, tiny, insignificant events. And yet, God is sovereign and he sees the end from the beginning and the beginning from the end. And he promises to, to work all of these things for good of those who love and trust him. I come with honesty and humility before God. I recognize God's sovereignty over all things, and I make a decision to trust in his purposes, whatever the weather, whatever the circumstances. I will cry out to God most high, to God who fulfills his purpose for me. Let me tell you some more stories. Liz. When I arrived at my church, we'd been there 22 years. Liz and her husband, Alan, came. They were in their early 40s. Liz was um, dependent upon alcohol. Um, she had been um, heavily involved with drug abuse. Uh, she had severe mental illness. Um, I don't know, can you remember the film, um, The Lord of the Rings? Have you seen the film, Lord of the Rings? Yeah, yeah. And do you know the, the wraiths? Those And, and she, she looked as if there was no life there. And she, for six months when she came, she used to sit right at the back in, a, in the balcony we have in our church. But over the years, God has done an amazing miracle in her life. She has literally gone to hell and back. She had a, a terrible childhood of abuse and, uh, again, of drug abuse. A, a terrible... And she tried to take her life many, many times. Uh, and it was miraculous, actually, that she didn't succeed on a number of occasions. But she didn't for what seemed to be coincidences. Or we now know it's God's providence. And God has now done something so beautiful in Liz's life. She still walks with a limp, but she, she is used by God. She's a brilliant artist, a brilliant artist. And she said to me something the other day, and it was one of those holy moments... And she said, and she would never have said this a few years ago. It's a testimony to what God has done in her life. She said, do you know, I'm glad I went through that. Because if I hadn't, I wouldn't be the person I am now. Now, only she could say that. Only she could say that. And I just felt, you know those moments, you just feel heaven touches earth. That was painful for her to say that. Let me tell you about Emma. Uh, Emma was in her late 20s, a uh, very pretty party animal, um, and then suddenly her life came to a stop when she was diagnosed uh, with breast cancer. And to cut a long story short, that was 10 years ago, she is um, still, uh, there is still cancer in her body, she is still technically terminally ill, she's come to Christ, and this is what she said, only she can say this, she said, Do you know, I, I'm glad I got that cancer. Because if it wasn't for that cancer, I wouldn't have come to know Christ. Only she could say that. Only she could say that. That is about God's sovereignty and trusting in God's providence. Even though the circumstances are terrible, even though things are difficult, things are bad, things are evil, God promises by his power and providence to bring good out of the worst of situations. If we had time, which we don't, you could say that actually David goes on and he he prays and he praises. And if you want to have a look at that psalm, he praises God in that situation. Literally meters away from death, maybe seconds away from death. And yet the, the, the second part of that psalm is a psalm of praise to God. Why? Not because of the circumstances, not because of the situation, but because God is God and he is worthy of our praise, whatever. The greatest lesson we can learn about worship is to worship God for no other reason, no other reason than that he is God. He is a loving God, he is a faithful God. The testimony of scripture is clear, that we come and we see that God wants to be everything to us and enough for us, regardless of what we have lost, regardless of the pain, regardless of the circumstances. I'm just going to bring this to an end by finishing off a story. That girl, Kate, dealing with profound disappointment. Instead of training as a doctor, she had to go to a university, not of her choice, to do a course not of her choice and there she met a young guy who also actually ended up at the same university in a very indirect way indeed a few months before that uh, the guy had was on a mission and met a friend Kate's best friend who said oh you must meet Kate I understand you're going to be going to the same university so a few months later this guy and Kate met up and they got talking they both got to know each other And one evening during a worship service, their eyes met across a crowded room. Now, she swears blindly that she can't remember that. She can't. But I do, because I was that guy. Now, we've been married for 30 years. Now, you're supposed to say, you look so young. Surely not. (laughs) What? Thank you. Out of that disappointment, and we look back, and Kate said, you know, I'm glad I, I didn't go to med school. I'm glad I failed those exams. Because actually, it opened up something which we have enjoyed for 30 years. We, could we see that at the time? No, of course not. Could she have seen that at the time? Absolutely not. But God promises to work out his purposes, whatever the weather, whatever the circumstance. And I suppose the question to me and the question to you is this simply, will you trust him? Will you? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you, we praise you, we confess that sometimes life is difficult, life is frustrating, things happen which we don't expect, bad things happen, which maybe we're not even looking for, but they happen, and Lord, sometimes we feel overwhelmed, and yet Lord, I pray that like David, we may come to you and to others with humility and honesty, we may recognize your sovereignty and your goodness above all things, and that we may trust in your purposes. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.
2: Thank you, Tim. Uh, So what do you do whenever you face disappointment? Three things. Be honest. Be honest. Be Be humble and honest. Good. We recognize his sovereignty. We praise him that's part of the psalm verse 2 57 verse 2 who who remembers 57 verse 2 we can memorize it <laughs> That's awesome We trust in his providence we trust in his sovereignty he's working out everything for his good in his mercy Have a great evening. God's going to meet you even whenever we face disappointments.